The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got a fantastic show in store for you today. Sterling Burnett, Ph.D. Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute, gives an overview of the affordable clean energy rule and how it impacts coal and natural gas. Other energies as well. We talked to, of course, solar and wind get brought into the conversation. This is the ACE, Affordable Clean Energy, that was in the news last week. And, well, it seems like it's in the news every single week with the new Green Deal. So we talk about that as well, how it's going to impact a lot of different things. Folks, if this is real, if this is happening, hold on to your knickers, your hats, your boots, whatever you got to hold on to because... Trying to get society off of fossil fuels in 10 years, that's that I, I don't even know if that's actually the laws of physics can allow that. Uh, we can barely get roads done in you know 10 years. And fiber optics, I think they're still trying to get those in and sewage and, and, and everything else. Now we're gonna completely change how we, you know, take pipes, for example. How are you going to make PVC pipes without fossil fuels? So then we got to go redo all the piping. I mean, it's just, it ripples and ripples and ripples. So we just have a conversation, actually, with uh, Sterling Burnett, Dr. Sterling Burnett, uh, with the Heartland Institute, about the ACE uh, Affordable Clean Energy Rule and how what's going on with all that. So, uh, folks, here it is, the man, the myth, the legend himself. With the Heartland Institute, Dr. Sterling Burnett. My name is H. Sterling Burnett. I'm a senior fellow with the Heartland Institute. Thank you very much for joining the program here today, Dr. Burnett. And we're talking today about, I guess it's called ACE, the Affordable Clean Energy. Uh, The EPA, their latest ruling, I guess, their latest policy or removal of it uh restructuring i guess I, what is the right way to phrase what happened over the last couple of days of course that's why we're bringing in uh, dr sterling burnett to dissect this a little bit and talk about what the new policy is going forward how are you today doing well so what they did is this it, it's a two it's a two-step process first last year they rescinded the obama administration's clean power plan um but they couldn't just rescind it because the Environmental Protection Agency has determined that carbon dioxide poses a threat to human health and environment. I, I think that that's a mistake. I think they had little justification for doing it, and cases challenging that are going forward in court. But uh, absent rescinding that determination, the Trump administration couldn't just pull the clean power plan. Uh, they also had to offer something of their own. And it's 
what they did yesterday, the ACE rule, the Amer- uh, Affordable Clean Energy Regulation. So uh, they published the final notice, and it is appreciably better than the Clean Power Plan. Uh, there's no question. It will save money. It will not force the closure of as many coal plants because it does not basically direct states to stop using coal, to replace coal with renewables and a little bit of natural gas. Uh, instead, it, it sort of offers a suite of technological fixes that would allow coal power plants to uh, upgrade their facilities, to improve their efficiency, their heat rate, uh, and thus continue operating. Much less costly, um, but it does impose some cost. And in the current environment, where uh, coal companies, I mean, where utilities are closing many of their coal plants already because the government is funding, <laughs> big government is giving big dollars to renewable energy sources and the construction of new facilities, um, it's still going to put some marginal plants out of business. And it's unnecessary because. Carbon dioxide is not a uh, pollutant. How much is natural gas playing into this? Because you mentioned it briefly. Um, uh, Tony Clark, when he was uh, in charge of uh, FERC, he mentioned that natural gas and coal were going to be tied together in in the foreseeable future. Um, talk to me a little bit about that relationship and how it's going to well, how gas, this is going to impact yeah. the uh, industry itself. Well, the ACE rule will. Um, the ACE rule doesn't have a lot to do with natural gas. Um, CPP did specifically allow some natural gas to replace coal. It's uh, cleaner burning as far as, uh, well, almost all emissions. Um, but coal with current technologies is just not dirty by any means. But uh, because I think the administration figured it would, there's a, a around 200 and something million dollars uh, maybe $400 million in cost uh, by implementing these upgrades that coal plants uh, in various states will have to do. Um, there are some coal plants that, uh, rather than under the Clean Power Plan, that would be replaced, uh, would have been almost mandated to be replaced with wind and solar, which are much more expensive. Uh, they will probably still go out of business, as they're already doing, uh, and being replaced with natural gas. Natural gas is uh, the the fastest growing as an amount of electric supply, not the percentage-wise, uh, wind and solar, but get big subsidies, as a percentage, are growing faster, but they're starting from a much smaller base, and uh, there's still a much smaller amount. So uh, uh, natural gas will benefit probably a little bit from this rule because there will some be some coal plants that will close, and instead of being replaced with... Uh, with more expensive wind and solar, they'll probably be replaced with natural gas, which is also more reliable. I mean, the virtues of coal, nuclear, natural gas is that they are reliable and they are dispatchable. In other words, they can be uh, dispatched, you know, natural gas can be ramped up as needed. You can turn off your plant and turn it back on in minutes and, and get natural gas electricity flowing. So they have a lot of benefits that wind and solar don't because they are dependent upon nature. You know, if, if nature plays along, then you've got power from them. And if it doesn't, uh, if it's windy, if it's nighttime, <laughs> if, if uh, it's, it's not windy enough, um, you, you have trouble 
from uh, wind and solar. Do you, do you mind if uh, we sidebar for just a second away from the uh, ACE and, and get into the wind and solar and the natural gas for a couple minutes? Sure. No. So one of the conversations that we've just started over the last, I don't know, two months, three months, is just how the wind and solar industry really has, has you know, if you were to give them a grade, they'd probably have a failing grade. The amount of subsidies that have gone into that industry and what they what they said that they were going to do as a goal, I don't think they've achieved yet. Is that a fair statement? Or talk to me about what, what kind of letter grade would you give them over the last 20 years of, you know, pumping well, subsidy, look, subsidy dollars in yeah. there? Okay, let's be clear. It's not 20 years. We've been pumping subsidy dollars to wind and solar since the 1970s, since we first started the, uh, since the uh, Department of Energy was formed. We went through the oil embargo and the crisis. Uh, government started intervening in energy markets seriously. They started subsidizing wind and solar then. It did, however, start really ramping up about 20 years ago at the end of the uh, second Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Now, they promised for 40 years now, not 20, for 40 years now, they promised with just a little bit more money and a little bit more time, they would be cost competitive and wouldn't need subsidies. We're an infant industry. We're, we're an orphan industry. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. and we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. This is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into, or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. Uh, government started intervening in energy markets seriously. They started subsidizing wind and solar then. It did, however, start really ramping up about 20 years ago at the end of the uh, second Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Now, they promised for 40 years now, not 20, for 40 years now, they promised with just a little bit more money and a little bit more time, 
they would be cost competitive and wouldn't need subsidies. We're an infant industry. We're, we're an orphan industry. We, we're just starting out. You've got to help us so we can compete with big oil and big gas and big coal. You know, that's what they've been promising for 40 years. And they're still not there. And the evidence is this. Every time the production tax credit lapses for wind energy, and for solar energy, despite the fact that many states have mandated, have required, regardless of the cost, you've got to use wind and solar, and seen their prices skyrocket since then. Despite that fact, every time the production tax credit goes away, even for a couple of months, as it does, you know, as it has done about four or five times because they can't get their budget deals cut before they have to do an omnibus at the end of the year, shops shut down that day. Wind turbine manufacturers close their doors. Solar manufacturers close their doors. Not weeks later, but the day the subsidies run out. They are creatures entirely of government. Were it not for the fact government were pouring these billions of dollars into it, giving low-cost loans for factories, giving low or, 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 or grants, giving tax abatements, property tax abatements, to lure these factories, giving money for every uh, kilowatt hour produced, these things wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be building wind and solar like we're building them today. There'd still be some people, put, you know, some wealthy people putting homeowner, uh, putting panels on their homes. There'd still be some isolated uh, people that live out in the country that are not going to be hooked up to the grid who would still put ho- uh, solar panels on their homes. Uh, but th- the way it's being done now, where you're building solar farms and wind farms, where you're where the government is paying for a third of the cost of you putting solar panels in your home, that wouldn't exist. Those those businesses would go away, and we would have more coal and more wind and more nu- uh, nuclear would still be there. More natural gas, it would, you know, natural gas would be thriving. Now it already is. Uh, well, that, that... because natural gas is is the best for. A backup. What you got to remember is, for every thousand megawatts of wind or solar they build, they have to build seven hundred megawatts of wind. I mean, of natural gas, because wind and solar only, you know, operate or only worthwhile about thirty percent of the time. Well, that's where I was kind of going with this. Is not not that we're advocating subsidies here. We're just saying they they've been there for forty years. Okay, twenty years yeah. especially. What would a world look like? And again, we're not advocating subsidies for the energy companies because they they pay more taxes than probably anybody else. And they also get more fees and more regulations dollars than anybody else. And they still got enough money left over to make sure the local churches have bake sales and the softball teams have uniforms and everything. So um, we're, we're we're not getting into that type of an argument here. What we're trying to say is what would a world look like if we shifted those subsidy dollars from solar and wind and put them into natural gas? Because that, that, that is an actual solvable problem, in my opinion, in the next five years, that if some of these science projects, because like I said, these energy companies are getting taxed more than anybody. They're getting feed and regulated more than anybody. They're making sure that the local communities have their church bake sales going on. So to actually give them a little bit of R&D help with those crazy guys living on well sites trying to figure out a way to get the Permian 
uh, out of the negative dollar natural gas and the Bakken's over at three bucks. And you know, do you know what I mean by that? To where if we shifted the well, subsidy dollars, yeah, I, okay. I understand what you're saying, but but I got to tell you, you know, we at the Heartland Institute, myself and and, and many of the other scholars here, we believe in an energy neutral policy. We believe in no subsidies for anyone. Natural gas would do just fine if it wasn't having to compete with wind subsidized wind and solar. Coal would do just fine if it wasn't having to compete with subsidized wind and solar. You take the, you simply take those subsidies away, treat all of those energy sources the same as a tax treatment. So they will write off their equipment the same number of years, they write off their expenses the same number of years on the tax. So you treat them the same, no subsidies. Uh, you don't need to subsidize uh, natural gas because They'll be making more profits. The prices will be higher because they'd be taking more of the electric power load. Uh, and then they could invest their own dollars in whatever R&D they think they need to do. And and really, that's kind of where we're going also with this, whether it's from ACE, the to- topic we were originally talking about, or just the natural gas here. A lot of it boils down to innovation and freeing up the money to put towards the innovation in areas where the market is showing it's needed. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, where the market's showing it's needed. That's the whole point is there was there was there is no market. There there was no evidence the market was demanding wind and solar power. We we weren't running short of electricity before they started subsidizing wind and solar power. We weren't having blackouts. In fact the blackouts and brownouts that California have experienced came as they were forcing more wind and solar and renewables onto the grid and taking coal off the grid. And then they complained that natural gas companies were causing their price spikes. They weren't. It was the way their regulations were strangling energy supply by dictating uh, market supply. So um, there, there was no market demand. The creation of, government, of, of wind and solar is completely government demand. And uh, I, I have confidence. Just like, I mean, the government didn't create the fracking revolution. That was innovation in the natural gas industry. When I give you a little story. So in the early to, to mid-2000s, as you know, natural gas prices were going through the roof. I think they peaked around $14 a million BT. Um, at that time, there were predictions that we only had enough natural gas for the next 60 years. And, you know, I was arguing at the time, well, yeah, but there's a lot of gas on government land and government, you know, not letting us get to that. And so I was interviewed by somebody who said, uh, well, what do you think? It's, it's $14 a million BTU. Uh, is this the permanent state of affairs? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. The market will, will respond. I am confident that within a couple of years, we'll be down to $9 per million BTU because the market will respond. Well, I didn't see the fracking revolution, and almost nobody else did, but the industry discovered it. And now where is it at? $2.50 a million BTU or less? I I was thinking $9 would be the new norm. $8 would be the new norm. (laughs) Even I, who was an optimist, I think, uh, couldn't foresee technological change once the market was allowed to compete, demanded innovation. And I think the industry will innovate without subsidies. In fact, one of the things probably holding back wind and solar are the subsidies. Because if the government says, we're going to give money to this technology, 
this specific technology, these kind of turbines, these kind of solar panels, even if you've got a better mousetrap, if that's not the one that's getting the subsidies, both the government money is going to the to the older technology, the existing technology, who doesn't want the competition from new startups, uh, and private dollars follow government dollars. They say, look, if government's going to back this, we're going to get our money in, into it. So innovation dries up in those industries. I think the, the, the solar and wind energies industries, from the perspective of innovation, would be better off without the government subsidies. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. So here's to all of the good thinkers and here's to the lonely drinker but don't you know welcome back to the multimedia cafe my name is jason spies thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the multimedia cafe a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about coming up next we continue the conversation with dr sterling burnett with the heartland institute i think the, the, the solar and wind energy industries from the perspective of innovation would be better off without the government subsidies. Dr. Sterling Burnett is our guest, senior fellow, Heartland Institute. You mentioned uh, you guys are a big proponents of non-subsidies and uh, tracking a lot of the, the policies and procedures and regulations happening in, in D.C. and how it impacts industry. How closely or are familiar are you with the rise of this new age environmentalism, this cult of environmentalism that seems to be impacting Colorado, Oregon? you got two presidential candidates now talking about banning drilling. Are you guys fo following that at all, or is that kind of uh, I, I, not on your... I, 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 followed, I followed that issue for uh, going on 30 years now, uh, long before I joined Harland. Um, the... Keep it in the ground movement is what you know labeled now. Uh, supporters of the Green New Deal who want to end all emissions of uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, all of these guys, they're they're they are 
basically mis- misanthropes. They're, they largely represent a relatively wealthy segment of the population, uh, largely white, largely upper middle class to wealthy, who have their, their money. They have their money, and they want playgrounds. And they don't care about the poor. They especially don't care about the poor in developing countries. They, they don't care if those people have to li- continue to live in poverty. Either that or they're blind and they really believe socialism can work and that, that, that wealth falls like manna from heaven and that all we have to do is distribute the wealth to the poor. And suddenly they will be uh, well off as opposed to just making everybody else poor. Um, they, they say things like the ideal human population is 200 million people. Well, okay, what do we do with the other uh, 7 billion people? on earth they say things uh, a, a, a government employee a u.s foreign service employee once said humans are cancer on the earth and we can only hope for the next disease to come along to wipe us out they care more about the environment than they care about humans and so when they shed crocodile tears saying oh you're killing children oh you're doing this you're doing that they don't care about those children those are those are poster they're using them to promote their nefarious their misanthropic environmental ends where they have their playgrounds and everybody else is forced into hobbles and cities. Well, I, I think you'll, well, I think I know the answer to my next question then. Um, we, we've been making the claim on this program, and like I said, we, we primarily are a non-political program, but we've been tracking this environmental rise, this uh, cult of environmentalism for about seven years pretty handily to where you know, the DAPL, the D- Dakota Access Pipeline protest. You've got the Colorado yeah. happening, like I said, all the way to Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren now to where it's here. It's, it, it is an I- ideology that is in- influencing a lot of day-to-day. But what we're, our position is this, and, and we're, not, we're, we're actually trying to be really factual here, which is today's protester does more texting and trolling and drinking Keurig coffee than they do actually trying to save the planet. And the oil and gas industry is actually doing more investment-wise and action to save the planet than the average environmentalist. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you make about that comment that we have? It's a, similar, it's a similar case for the animal rights activists. Hunters spend more dollars actually protecting habitat and actually preserving species than PETA and the Humane Society combined. Uh, you wouldn't have wildlife agencies were it not for $100. And PETA tries to undermine all these things. Well, the same is true for these radical environmentalists who want to get rid of fossil fuels. The funny thing is, you know, as, a, as an experiment, if I, was, if I was a parent, and I'm not, if I were blessed with children, and my child came home and said, we need to get an electric car, we've got to stop using fossil fuels, we're destroying the earth, I would say, okay, hand me your iPhone. Give me your iPad. Let's get rid of the earbuds. Uh, we're cutting off the uh, whatever gaming system you have because they are all charged to electricity. And we're going to cut, since you believe this, we're going to cut your emissions first. Uh, when it came time to go to school the next day for little Johnny or little Susie, I'd say, get walking because I'm not driving my car. That would spew carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, you know, I just make them, I, I would let kids know that are being led astray. 
your lifestyle depends on the very things you're complaining about. Well, one of the you things you can't text, you can't talk, you can't Facebook or uh, WhatsApp or whatever without electricity that's largely and primarily provided by fossil fuels. And from my research, what I've read, and this is all very, you know, very easy to find, cell phones are now the number one polluter on the planet. In a, in a number of ways. I mean, you know, you got to remember, every cell phone, every iPad, uh, all these all these great gaming systems, everything, they rely on something called rare earth elements, which mm-hmm. we in the U.S. don't produce. We're almost 100% relying on China for the rare earth elements for these products. And the rare earth elements are hard to get at. They're expensive to refine. And refining, producing them and refining them creates millions of tons of toxic waste that's just sitting in pools each year. And they want solar panels and they want wind turbines that also rely on these rare earth elements. Where are we going to put all the pollution? Every For every megawatt of energy that solar panels produce, they create 300 times more toxic waste than a comparable megawatt of coal or natural gas or nuclear or even nuclear. So... You got to confront kids with these facts, and if they don't buy it, when you tell them, take away their electronics and say, "Okay, we're going to start with you first. You think we need to do without this kind of stuff? You go first. My suspicion is they would quickly find, oh, suddenly I'm I'm less concerned about the climate, and I'm more concerned that I can't text my friend or get on Facebook. That's that's. Without a doubt. And the other part of this, the research, too, is the data centers, that every text and every email and every website, it takes the power at the data centers in order to do that and the amount of energy that goes into that as well. So it, this, oh. the, the amount of oh. layers I've, I've seen where cell phones are just the biggest polluter. Then, of course, when you look at the New Age environmentalists, that's basically what they do. They text and they troll. That's, that is their yeah. new way of doing business. So I laugh because and I'm going, these, they're, they're know, the number one polluter on the planet now, these environmentalists. All these data centers, think about this. I don't know if you've ever been. We used to have, uh, when I worked in an office, we used to have a, 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 a room that was just devoted to our uh, uh our drives, our hard drives, our, you know, data storage. Like the devices. server, sure. Yeah, the server rooms. So all the servers were in one room. And if the air conditioning went out, that room got hot fast. So we constantly, we're running air in there. In the middle of winter, we're running air in there. We may be running heat everywhere else, but in the server center, we're running air conditioning. Now, in Texas, in the middle of summer, air conditioning ain't cheap. So, uh... Think about these huge, I'm talking about one room in one office. Think about these huge data centers that, were, that are serving multiple states. Huge buildings with these servers running that have to be air conditioned to keep cool so the, so the servers just don't literally fry themselves. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Now, a lot of them, Google, you know, it has installed a lot of solar panels at taxpayer expense. We paid for it just like we gave them the tax dollars to build these server centers and 
tax abatements to build these service centers. But now they, they say they're using solar power. But guess what? They ain't using solar power at night. Dr. Burnett, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. and we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Coming back home. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic. The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Now, a lot of them, Google, you know, it has installed a lot of solar panels at taxpayer expense. We paid for it, just like we gave them the tax dollars to build these server centers and tax abatements to build these service centers. But now they, they say they're using solar power. But guess what? They ain't using solar power at night. On a cloudy day, they're not running on solar power. In fact, they're never really running on solar power. They're, 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 if solar power is always a supplement to the system because you can't rely on it. You have to have that power 24 hours a day. Now, they could try solar and battery backup, but battery backup is almost the most expensive source of energy you can have. And then you'd have to build entire buildings just filled with nothing but batteries that use toxic chemicals and materials in their creation. So it's, you know, when I, always, when I hear people talk about green energy, we need green energy, we need clean energy, I, I confront them. I say, if by a form of energy, you mean a form of energy that produces no environmental impact whatsoever, no green energy exists. Because every energy source has some environmental impact. So what you need to do is an apples-to-apples comparison on air quality, on water quality, on the impact on wildlife, on the impact on land, habitat. Uh, and then you make your comparison. But you can't just say wind and solar because they don't use fossil fuels or green. No. They have an environmental impact, too. Ask the millions of birds and bats. Uh, killed by wind turbines each year, which one Sierra Club site is called the Cuisinarts of the Air, <laughs> or or the desert tortoises that are being affected by solar farms out in the middle of their desert. Are you familiar with uh, Harry the Dirty Dog, that old book? Uh, children's book. You mentioned you didn't have kids, so you probably aren't. It's just, 
story that uh, kids for 40 years have been have been read and Harry goes and gets dirty from the coal plant and playing in the in the crude oil plant that sort of thing and so for 40 years you know kids were bred to believe that you know this dirtiness and I remember the first time I went to Pittsburgh oh Pittsburgh's a gorgeous city and I was expecting this smog you know this dirty industrial steel type place and I Pittsburgh was great so um, the, the energy industry has done a fantastic job of cleaning their technology with the innovation. You, we've mentioned that earlier, you know, from the coal plants becoming extremely clean to, you know, you take, take some of the new refineries that are just doing state-of-the-art clean energy. Now, the reason I bring that up and I preface it like that is because there has been a change in the way government has run and the way that the energy industry has done things to where is it time the energy industry reinvents how they do public relations because the Harry the dirty dog and the way that they've been you know doing government relations for so long and now you know you've got these trojan horses like what happened in Colorado and and recently in Oregon they just passed a similar one with the Senate and just it seems like the government kind of is not as collaborative as it was before with the um, oil and gas industry to now it's like a war type of a thing. My point is, <laughs> should they reinvent PR is where, where, we're at, where I'm going. I don't going. know. I, I can't speak to PR. Yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a marketing guy. I'll say this. I think for far too long, rather than fighting, they've tried to get along. I mean, they, they spend millions of dollars supporting environmental groups that are trying to kill them. They give money, hoping to buy them off. They say things like, we're clean too. We are good guys. You know, rather than going out and defend, you know, not defending, because they shouldn't have to defend themselves. Rather than going out and saying all the good things our energy system does, how it provides the food on your table every day, how it doesn't get to market without the tractor trucks, without the, without the, uh, uh, the tractors themselves, without the the fertilizers and the fuel with saying you don't live without our product we're not bad guys we're good guys and we're tired of trying to say oh we're good too you know uh paying off sierra club paying off the natural resources defense council hoping that if you give them money they'll stop attacking you they won't they you know it, they're like I don't know. I, I just it's, think it's, it's like Cong it's like Congress asked. You know, imagine you're on, uh, you're, you're testifying before Congress, and a congressman asks you, "Have you stopped beating your wife yet?" And your reply is, "You know, you're already in a bad spot because it implies that you beat your wife, even if you don't." Now you can respond, "I don't beat my wife, sir," and I won't dignify that with an answer. Well, that's what they do with the oil industry or the natural gas industry. They say, have you stopped polluting yet? Have you stopped killing the planet? And rather than say, we don't kill the planet, we're not polluting, what they say is, we're getting better all the time. We're beating our lives less. And next year we'll be beating her even less than this year. If that's what they do. Well, this they is... Say, oh, this... yes, we're, 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 we're constantly innovating. We're constantly cleaning up. Rather than saying, you know what? The emissions from our plant right now aren't killing anyone. And that was Dr. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit the website, thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. 
The Multimedia Cafe is a podcast or a radio program, however you want to define it, that's picked up and carried by the Crude Life Media Network. That's our parent website. So when we tell you to go to the crudelife.com and yet you're thinking, well, this is the Multimedia Cafe, well, we do a trickle-up theory here. We like to go down to the grassroots and trickle everybody up to the Crude Life Media Network, and the Multimedia Cafe is proud to be a member of the Crude Life Cafe. Of the Crude Life Media Network, we're at the Multimedia Cafe. See, we're just one big happy family. We meld everything together. Soup for one. I mean, how's that go? Soup for everybody. Every... Stone soup. That's where I was. Not See, I, it's, it's been a dry spell in the dating world, so apparently soup for one is on my mind. and I'm trying to just have stone soup. Stone soup. Apparently the business must be not going very well either if I'm having stone soup. So, all right, let's just end this show because it's it's just fallen off the rails here. But, hey, what do you expect? It's the Multimedia Cafe. You never know who you're going to run into or what you're going to talk about because sometimes you might just run into yourself. All right, folks, from the staff here at the Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. First full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. 
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 